This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're going to discuss some of the environmental proposals that Governor Kathy Hochul is championing this year, as well as some policy and funding commitments that green groups would like to see the Democratic leader get behind. To do all that, we're joined remotely by Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Welcome back to the show, Julie. Thanks for having me on. So I want to start with the so-called NY Heat Act, uh, which the governor embraced at least part of in her budget proposal, uh, specifically advancing an end to the quote-unquote 100-foot rule that allows gas services to be extended to new customers and the costs are then subsidized by existing ratepayers. How significant is this part of uh, what Governor Hochul has rebranded the Affordable Gas uh, Transition Act? I think it's really important and meaningful that the governor is taking leadership on this issue, right? We know that we need to move away from fossil fuels for how we're heating and cooling our buildings, but we need to do it in a smart and planned way, um, including starting with not expanding the gas network, right? So having that in there, having that uh, 100 foot rule and the obligation to serve rule change so that the utilities aren't obligated to provide gas service. You know, we just went through a time period where Con Edison had a moratorium on new gas hookups in Westchester. And you know what? The ceiling did not collapse, right? We still had construction happening in Westchester County. New buildings went up. And so we're able to continue to move forward uh, with building without having new gas hookups uh, made available. So we think this is a really meaningful um, step forward. We were thrilled, obviously, last year when the Senate passed the bill. Uh, We are continuing to work on how we can advance this in the state assembly, and hopefully we'll get this done as part of the the budget, because we do need to make sure that we are taking a thoughtful approach for how we're going to transition away from using fossil fuels for how we're heating and cooling our buildings. So is the idea with this language that someone could still get connected to a gas line, but that it might be cost prohibitive now? That is part of it, I think. Um, I think it's about making conscious decisions and not subsidizing this expansion of a network that we know under laws that we've already passed under the Climate Act that will ultimately be outdated. Uh, and so we need to make this transition to different neighborhood scale approaches. You know, one of the things that we've been advocating for uh, with a, a collaboration called Upgrade New York is for moving to thermal energy networks. We have a law that got passed in 2022 that requires all the utilities to look at thermal energy networks and conduct pilots. Uh, we're expecting that the Public Service Commission will actually prove those pilots very shortly. And this would enable connecting various sources of thermal energy or heat, like uh, a data center that is generating excess heat as they're cooling their data uh, processing uh, equipment, or the subway, or the sewer system, or a geothermal well field, connecting them to multiple other buildings that need heat. uh, So you can take that heat that's now a waste and put it into a network of water-filled pipes and connect them in that way. So you're moving away from gas uh, to thermal energy and using the same types of skills that workers have in order to build the gas network. So we think that these are two things that go together very well, that we're moving towards thermal energy uh, networks as a way to transition off of of gas as we move forward for heating and cooling. So we're glad to see these things working sort of in tandem. 
Well, sticking with the uh, Affordable Gas Transition Act, uh, as proposed by the governor, uh, she's looking to amend the statutory priorities of the Public Service Commission so they're more focused on realizing uh, the state's ambitious emission reduction goals that you mentioned with the CLCPA, as opposed to simply prioritizing reliability and affordability when regulating energy Is this proposed change a big deal, or is it mostly lip service and won't necessarily uh, dramatically change uh, the PSC's approach moving forward? No, I think it's a big deal, right? Like, obviously, the... Whatever the Public Service Commission does, we need to be mindful of cost implications. We need to make sure that we have a reliable system for heating, cooling, and powering all of our facilities. Nobody is questioning that. That is a priority. But we also need to be prioritizing how we're going to accomplish these other goals to reduce our impact on on climate change. Um, So really, I do think right now that the PSC is hamstrung. And so we need these changes to be made so that they have the capability of factoring in these other pieces of information when they're making decisions about how they're going to act. So I do think this is a huge step forward. We are thrilled that the governor is putting this in uh, and want to see it get done as part of the budget this year, certainly. And we're still digging into all the details since obviously it just came out yesterday and evaluating exactly what it looks like and if there are you know tweaks that we want to see. But I can tell you that we are pretty darn excited that the governor advanced this, and we think it's a it's a really good step forward, and it is an important piece of legislation that is responsible. Well, sticking with that idea of the details, does the proposal or the governor's version of the NY Heat Act does that remove a portion of what the legislature, the Senate specifically, advanced that would have capped some of the energy? costs for low-income New Yorkers? And if so, is that kind of a glaring omission, considering how the governor, as we just talked about, is trying to promote affordability in the energy space? Actually, I think that's somewhere else in the budget, maybe not as part of the statutory legislation, but there is funding that would, in fact, address this. I think there's $50 million available to protect uh, low-income rate payers to ensure that they're not spending more than 6% on their utility bills is my understanding. Again, we're still digging through all the details, um, but the nice thing about that is it's not coming from ratepayers, right? Like we cannot have ratepayers pay every single thing that we're doing as we make this transition to renewable energy and to um, reduce the amount of reliance on fossil fuels. So I believe that they have proposed funding elsewhere in the budget that would not be coming on the backs of ratepayers. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about the environmental issues in New York. And our guest is Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. So unlike 2023, the governor appears to be taking a step back from the effort to reduce packaging waste and is not advancing her own so-called extended producer responsibility language in the budget What would you like to see the legislature do in light of the void created by uh, Governor Hochul? No, I don't think it's a void. The governor's proposed it before, and the legislature has expressed very little interest in actually doing it. Um, So it's certainly something that's been a priority. Obviously, you know, the chairs, you know, Deborah Glick and Pete Harcum have expressed strong interest. They held the hearing that we participated in in the fall related to extended producer responsibility. And we would love to see a deal get done to advance that that law. Like we clearly need to be tackling waste. We're way behind on this. We are generating more waste than ever. 
Um, we're not recycling nearly as much as we should be. We have to get greater recycled content into our materials so that we create this circular economy that we really need. I, I think that the governor's office is very interested still in addressing these issues and they have not seen that there's an appetite in the legislature. So really, I think we need to get them moving. And I think, you know, that's why they didn't advance something. I don't think it's because they don't care about the issue anymore that they're not interested. Um, but it, it has not been something that the legislature has so far been willing to come to agreement on with them. But if the governor's not going to use her bully pulpit to address packaging waste and to cajole lawmakers into action, what reason is there to think that the legislature will act on its own? Because as you pointed out, they, they clearly have been unable to reach a deal in the past. Look, I think there's all sorts of ways that we get policy made in the state of New York. It's far be it for me to say that the legislature can't act without the governor leading them first. So I think that would be uh, something that they would um, <laughs> they would disagree with very strongly with you, David. Um, so I think that the legislature certainly uh, should count on us advocating for this this year. Um, but again, there've been pretty strong opposition to doing that legislation in the budget, which I don't necessarily agree with. It's going to take DEC staff to advance in real in reality. They're, they cannot do it with the existing staff that they have. So there certainly are fiscal implications from that perspective. But um, I think I think there's a ways to go still on getting uh, a bill that can pass both houses. And it's something that we look forward to working on this year. Well, sticking with what's missing, or I guess I should say partially missing from the governor's proposal, uh, there's $250 million for clean water infrastructure, which is about half of what the state has invested in each of the last five budgets. Should the state begin looking into the couch cushions so that we can spend $500 million to promote safe water, or should we be looking to take $250 million from somewhere else? I mean, how important is this pool of money? Look, we started, and I say we because I was there uh, at DEC when this program started in actually 2015 when it was a $200 million two-year program that was wildly popular. It was doubled the following year to $400 million. And then in 2017, we did the Clean Water Infrastructure Act that started the $500 million a year program. Um, we, we know that EFC and the programs are wildly popular. They are oversubscribed every year. They cannot you know, do all the projects uh, that would like to be done. This is a proven job creator uh, that are supporting union jobs. And these are the sources of funds that we need to help leverage all the federal funding that is coming available. I don't think now is the time to move us back. The governor just signed a bill near the end of the year uh, related to uh, lead service lines that we're going to need to replace an awful lot of lead service lines between that law and the federal government's requirement for us to address lead, uh, lead pipes. So we still have a situation with that. We know that there's billions and billions of dollars of projects needed to provide safe, clean drinking water. This is a top priority. I think this was a miss by uh, the administration, and uh, we're going to be advocating very strongly with our partners in the environmental and labor movements to get that funding restored. We had been hoping that we would actually go beyond that to $600 million a year for the very fact that these programs are oversubscribed every year. And we know that New Yorkers are in strong support of uh, clean water, as is demonstrated by how strongly they voted for the Bond Act. 
And after a quick break, we'll have more on the environment with Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation about what's in and not in the governor's budget when it comes to environmental issues. And our guest is Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Anything from the governor's budget promoting zero emission vehicles, whether for personal or commercial use? And if not, what would you like to see get included in the debate between now and when a final budget's adopted? That's a great question. You know, we have been plugging away at how are we going to comply with the the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. We've been tackling energy, which is the, the first thing we need to do really to get us all set up. Last year, we had such a big step forward with getting the all-electric buildings law passed, getting the state to commit to evaluating its own facilities, or at least its highest emitting facilities, moving on with more action on buildings with looking at the New York Heat Progress or the Affordable Gas Transition Act, as the governor is calling her proposal. But really, we have not done very much at all to tackle transportation, right? And so the way I view this is there are two big things that we should be doing. One is how can we get more electric vehicles out there to make it easier to for people to buy them? Right now, there are not many electric vehicles being sold by traditional dealers, um, as opposed to the very limited number of direct sales facilities available in the state of New York. And that is the main difference between how Florida, for example, is selling so many EVs and New York is. So, you know, we are so far behind California that they're laughing us. So one thing is, you know, Senator Harkin has put in a bill, obviously there's been a lot of objections to increasing the number of direct sales facilities, even though they're proven tax-free way of getting more EVs sold in our state. But let's let's start at least looking at what sales are happening and is that going to put us on track to meeting our goals? And if not, then let's go ahead and authorize new direct sales facilities so that we have more time to get more electric vehicles out there. Secondly, is we're going to need incentives for people to make the transition, partially to help build out the EV infrastructure network to make sure that we have the charging infrastructure that makes people comfortable driving EVs all over the state, which I will tell you I have done. I have driven from New York City to Buffalo, to Saratoga and back, to Montreal and back in my Tesla, and I did not have any troubles or range anxiety whatsoever. But there are a lot of people who are not using those types of cars, and they want to see that there's a a robust network out there. We need that so that people don't have range anxiety. And we need to be making sure that we're decarbonizing the existing vehicles, in particular on the the medium and heavy-duty side. And one way we can do that is with a clean fuel standard for transportation. Last week, we were at a facility, a Sonamax facility in Brooklyn, where this is the first station in New York State retail selling renewable diesel and biodiesel blends that can displace fossil fuel usage. California has displaced 57% of their diesel fuel with renewable and biodiesel. 
20% of their credits from a clean fuel standard for transportation are going to electric, and they are not 20% of the market that are out there. This is a no-cost way for the state to get as much as a billion dollars a year of investments in transportation, decarbonization, to help us ramp up moving to electric vehicles for both personal vehicles as well as medium and heavy-duty vehicles, and getting rid of the pollution or vastly reducing the amount of pollution associated with trucks and buses. Um, something that we can do today with those existing vehicles while we're transitioning in the longer term to electric vehicles. Um, the governor did talk about clean transportation standard. We don't want to see just a study done, which is what she suggested that they're going to do. We know that this works. California, Oregon, Washington, the country of Canada are all doing this with great success, and we are behind the eight ball. Kids can't wait 10 years to get electric buses when tomorrow we can be moving them to cleaner, renewable diesel and biodiesel, which will cut air pollution and help people with asthma. We can do something today that can help us reduce that pollution now and create the incentives for the MTA, who's already committed to doing all this, to do this faster, to fleets for them to transition to renewable fuels and to make those decisions. You know, you're not going to get the national companies are going to first make investments in states that give them incentives to do that. And a clean transportation standard does that without costing the state billions of dollars or the ratepayers. Well, you frame the clean fuel standard adoption as an environmental slam dunk, but in reality, in recent years, the environmental movement in New York has been divided on the issue, and I think that's contributed to things like Governor Hochul only being willing to advance a study as opposed to you know, really wrapping her arms around this issue. So how do you get your point of view to be the dominant one here in Albany? How do you realize this vision you've just talked about? Well, I think we've been looking at the reality of what's happening in California and how much reduction in air pollution, not just carbon, right? Carbon is obviously a top priority from a climate perspective, but also how are we reducing air pollution sooner rather than later in a way that gets us over the arc? Look, we're, we're amending the bill to make it go out longer term, which was, you know, no one ever expected it to stop. And I think we're growing out our coalition in getting more people on board with it and realizing that, again, not everything is going to be able to come from the ratepayers, And this is something that is a fiscally responsible way with little to no impact to consumers at the pump. So I think it's a common sense program that the majority of voters in the state of New York are supportive of. Well, finally, you mentioned zero emission school buses that we're supposedly transitioning toward. Would you have liked to see anything else uh, in the governor's budget to help facilitate that or uh, on the public transit fleet and the idea of creating a zero emission fleet there? We're supportive of all of those things, obviously. We're delighted to see that the state has started moving forward with funding from the Bond Act for public schools. We are working to try and help educate more of the school districts about the funding that's available and, you know, working with our partners um, in the state to try and identify what are some of the technical issues that need to be addressed. We've asked for a few more staff at the Department of Education so that they can help the school districts to address the issues that they have. That's certainly something that they could use to help talk to the schools. So certainly we're excited to see that move forward. And the fact that the EPA is rolling out more funding from the bipartisan infrastructure law 
for electric school buses is really key. So are we going to need to come back and ask for some other things in the future? Possibly. I don't know that we've identified things that we need in the immediate there's always room for more money for things like this, but certainly the fact that one of the first programs from the Bond Act that started spending was the school bus money is, I think, really important, and we're going to see more coming from that in the not-too-distant future. For public transit, there's already been a commitment that the the big five systems uh, go to electric by 2040. We know we're certainly continuing to press the MTA. One key factor in that is, of course, making sure congestion pricing continues to move forward. Um, we're part of a group supporting the MTA and the federal government in litigation in New Jersey to address that. But that is a, a key for how the MTA plans on transitioning and jump, you know, making a much bigger jump on how many electric buses that they're able to buy. So certainly we're we're happy that that is continuing to move forward and that the governor has stood strong on that as opposed to, you know, our our car loving uh, neighbor to the west here from New Jersey. Again, we're happy and we would like to see a commitment uh, made in statute as opposed to what we've had so far on the public transit side um, to move all those buses to electric. But I think there's a lot of progress that can be made. And a clean transportation standard would help get money and make it a more cost-effective for all of those systems to make progress on that. You know, in California, electric buses, electric transit buses get about $10,000 per bus per year in non-fare revenue. So to me, that's a, that's a win. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Julie Tai. They're the president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Julie, thank you so much for making the time. No, thank you for having me on. Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.